The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. Most of us are probably familiar with the children's character, um, Where's Wally? So here's, here's a picture of, or I say Where's Wally. I, where's, it started in England, and in England it was called Where's Wally. Here in North America it's called Where's Waldo. And so you may be familiar with this Where's Waldo character. He's always wearing that red and white striped shirt with the stocking cap and his glasses. And so he's a very characteristic um, character. And, and when we say Where's Waldo, we're trying to find him normally in a picture that looks something like this. And so where this illustration and it's somewhere in that picture, we're to, to find Waldo in that picture. Uh, among all this colorful, colorful array of their, um, looks like tents and other people and animals and tigers and bears, oh my, just all kinds of things that are, are hidden in those pictures. And sometimes it's, it's easy to find Waldo in some of the easier pictures. Other times it's really hard to find him. I see some of you are just tuning out. You're just looking at the picture right now. And you're like, I'm going to find Waldo before that picture disappears. Uh, so Godspeed to you in finding Waldo in that picture. But he's always there in every picture he's there. The illustrator has carefully placed Waldo in all of these pictures. We need to only have eyes to see. And we too, we can find Waldo. Well, Finding Jesus in the Bible has some similarities and it also has some critical differences to finding Waldo in these pictures. Let me start with some of the critical differences between Waldo and Jesus. So, for example, finding Waldo is a game. Uh, That's all it is. It's intended for our amusement. It has zero eternal significance to it. You know, the, the Waldo phenomenon has only been around for about 33 years. In another 33 years, nobody's going to ever have heard of Waldo. It's going to be a thing of the past. Here's another critical difference. The illustrator of these books uses deceptive devices to hide Waldo from our view. I mean, you're thinking, how hard could it be to find a guy that's wearing a striped shirt, right, and a stocking cap? But you look at that picture and you see all types of stripes of, of different colors and you see all different co- um, you know, all these reds and the reds and the whites and they're all mixed in there. And so he uses these devices, if you will, to intentionally divert our eyes from finding Waldo in the picture. It's, it's, it's deception on purpose. He doesn't want us to find Waldo because if we find Waldo, the game's over, right? And so he doesn't want us to find Waldo. And so he makes Waldo as hard to find as possible. But finding Jesus in the Bible isn't a game. It's not just a means for our fun. And frankly, finding Jesus in the Bible does have eternal significance for our souls. And the Scriptures themselves, they were written in such a way so as to not intentionally hide Jesus from our view. He's not trying to purposely keep, or the authors of Scripture aren't trying to purposely hide him. There's no sleight of hand, if you will, in the 
Scriptures that are trying to uh, hide Jesus from us. But Jesus is always there. In every book of the Bible, He's there. And just like trying to find Waldo, sometimes Jesus is, is clearly there. You know, we read the Gospels or we read other books in the New Testament and Jesus is clearly there. He's even there by name and we, we say, oh, there's Jesus. In other books of the Bible, sometimes it requires us to look carefully at the text. I'm, he's there. He's always there, but we have to look closely to find Him there. We have to be good students of the Word of God. We have to keep our eyes open. Now, I, I share that illustration with you this morning about Waldo because this morning we're looking at a text where he's, he's not plainly there. It's not like, well, we're, we're going to read the name Jesus in these verses. But he's there, friends. I want, I want to assure you he's there. And I hope when you, when you leave today, you're going to go, wow, he, he was there right in the middle of that text. And so you might scratch your head at first as we read the text and say, what does this have to do with anticipating Jesus? But I hope by the time we leave that you will clearly see Jesus in this text. If you're in Deuteronomy chapter 18, say amen. All right. I'm going to read verses 15 through 22. You follow along with me as I read these verses. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that I shall speak, to him, speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And you shall say in your heart, How may we know the Lord excuse me, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. It's the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Your word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray now, Lord, that you help us to see Jesus proclaimed in this passage. Lord, that our hearts might anticipate Him. That our hearts might rejoice that He indeed has come and is coming again. And so, Father, thank You for Your Word. Use it now, I pray, to mold us and shape us, each one of us, into the image of Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen. So if you're a note-taker, our central idea is this. God's people were taught early on to anticipate the arrival of of the Messiah. God's people were taught early on. So from the earliest books in the Bible, we are anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. I'm going to make four points from our text this morning. First point is this, is a prophet is coming with the emphasis on is. The prophet is coming. If I were to ask you to name who were the most important people 
in the Old Testament? We could come up with lots of good answers to that question. I mean, somebody might say, well, it's got to be Adam and Eve, right? It all starts with Adam and Eve. And a, a good argument could be made that Adam and Eve are the most important people in the Old Testament. Or you might say, well, maybe it was Noah. You know, at a, at a time when, when, when sin was rampant, and rampant, God saw Noah and God gave Noah grace. And perhaps it was Noah who was the most important figure in the Old Testament. Or maybe we'd want to start with Abram. His name later is changed to Abraham. After all, he is the father of the Jewish faith. And so we would say Abraham is the most important person in the Old Testament. That's a, that's a great answer. Or we might point to King David or to his son Solomon. Either of those men would be fantastic choices to, if you were to argue who the most important person is. But without question, in my mind, the most important person in the Old Testament is a man named Moses. He's, he's far and away the most important person in the Old Testament. Moses wrote these first five books of the Bible, or at least most of them. We'll see in just a moment that he didn't actually finish Deuteronomy. But he wrote most of them. I'll, I'll say more about that in a moment. But the Bible tells us of Moses that God spoke with him face to face. Not like other prophets where he would speak to other prophets through dreams and visions. With Moses, he spoke face to face. Moses was a prophet like no other. So Moses wrote these words that we're reading today. And so look with me there at verse 15. Again, this is Moses writing about something that he had told the people of God. Moses is speaking here, and he says there in verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And then just three verses later, this time it's, so Moses is still writing, but he's recording now God's words to God's people. In verse 18, God himself says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. So first Moses says it. Now God is confirming what Moses said. We, we see here God is at work among his people. And I want us to notice three things about these two verses that are very, very important for us to understand. First, as I've just said, God is at work. In verse 15, Moses ascribes the work there to the Lord your God. And if you look carefully at your Bible, you will, you'll notice there that the word Lord is in, it's in all capital letters. And we've talked about that before. That means that, that the author here is referring to the, the, the divine name of God, to, to what we sometimes translate as Yahweh. And he's letting, he's letting us know that the covenant-keeping God, the God who is Yahweh, the God who calls Himself, I am who I am. That is the one who is at work. The same God who is in covenant with Israel, that same God is now at work among Israel. Second, notice this, that this is something that the Lord your God, the text says, will, will do. In, in both cases, the verb is the same, both in verse 15 and verse 18, it's the exact same verb, that God will raise up a prophet. And the tense there in the Hebrew language is letting us know that the subject of the, is, is the one actually doing the action. That the subject is causing, he's actually causing this prophet to be raised up. Here's my point. This is something that God is doing among His people. It's something we can take to the bank. 
It's, it's, it's not something that God is thinking about. It's not something He's mulling over. This is a, a sure and certainty. It's an absolute certainty that God is going to raise up a prophet like Moses for His people. Third, notice what He's going to do. He's going to raise up this prophet, right? Now, I'll say more in my next point about who that prophet is, but for now, notice, notice these three things about the prophet. First, this prophet, Moses tells us, is for us. This prophet is for God's people. He's, he's coming for our benefit. He's not coming to dog us or to belittle us or to speak down to us. He's for us. He's on our side. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll always like what this prophet has to say. You know, he might have some things to say to us that are hard, that we go, ooh, that, that hurts. After all, we, we are stubborn and rebellious creatures. That's who we are. But even when he has something harsh to say, we understand that he is for us, that he's saying it ultimately for our good. He's saying it ultimately for his glory. He is saying it for us. Second, notice about this prophet that he's going to be like Moses. God's not going to speak through this prophet, this new prophet that he's going to. He's not going to speak to him like he speaks through other prophets, again, through dreams or visions of life. God is going to speak through this prophet like he spoke to Moses, a face to face kind of way. This prophet is different than the other prophets. And third and finally, notice about this prophet that he's going to come from among God's people, from among your brothers, Moses says. He's going to be someone that the Jewish people can recognize. He's going to be somebody you might even say that the Jewish people could anticipate. That they could say, I I saw him coming. I recognized him when he came. And so we, we need to understand that a prophet is coming. It's a certainty that he's coming. Point number two. Here's the million dollar question. Well, then who is this prophet? Who is this prophet? We know he's coming, but who is he? Does does Moses tell us anything about who this prophet is? Moses himself, he lived to be about 120 years. Well, not about. He lived to be 120 years old, the Scriptures tell us. He spent the first 40 years growing up as an adopted son in in Pharaoh's household. He spent the next 40 years working as a shepherd uh, in the wilderness of Midian. And he spent his last 40 years leading the rebellious people of Israel through the wilderness Um, in their unbelief. But then Moses dies. And God's supposed to raise up a prophet like him. But who is that prophet that's coming after Moses? So I want to fast forward a bit. Just turn with me, stay in Deuteronomy, and turn to the last chapter of Deuteronomy. It's chapter 34 in Deuteronomy. I I want us to to see this. And and as you're turning there, um, I want to talk to you about something um, that are called canonical seams. So if we think of the canon of Scripture, I want you to think of canonical seams. Seams at S-E-A-M-S. So like our pants have, our, our garments have seams in them where the, where the, where the material is sewn together. You see, the, the 39 books that we have in the Old Testament, they weren't just like haphazardly put together. They weren't just thrown together. They were put together with purpose. They were put together in, a, in, a, in an order to, to show us something important. And so here, um, at, the, at the end of, 
of um, the Pentateuch, at the end of these first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Moses has been writing those books, but he, as I said earlier, he doesn't finish Deuteronomy. How do I know that? Well, we'll see in just a minute. He dies halfway through verse 34. Moses is dead, so it's, it's a pretty sure bet that Moses didn't write after he was dead. He wasn't able to describe what happened after he's dead. It's probably a good, uh, a fair bet that Moses didn't write anything of chapter 34, but rather somebody came after Moses. And we'll see in just a moment that it's probably a long time after Moses that this person comes still inspired by God as, as he finishes up this canonical scene, this, this scene which then connects Deuteronomy to the next book that's to come. And so... Follow along with me. I'm going to read all of chapter 34. It's a short chapter, but listen to these words. It says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah. So right here, just down the road, he went to Pisgah. Um, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, so far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go there. Now, you'll, some of you will recall that Moses was disobedient when he struck the rock, when he was told not to struck the rock, rock. And so Moses himself wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. And so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. But notice these words. His eyes, his eye was undimmed and his vigor uninvaded. In other words, he didn't die of old age. You'll be thinking, 120, he died of old age. No, he didn't die of old age. He died because he was being punished by God for his disobedience. And the people of Israel, verse 8, the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Verse 9, And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him as they did the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And then, Notice these words. These are, this is critically important. Verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And so as we read chapter 34, we see hints all over the place that this chapter was actually written months or excuse me, long, not not months. We're talking years, decades, perhaps even centuries after Moses wrote the other parts of the Pentateuch. In verse six, we see that it's that the writing of chapter 34 is such a distant memory. It's happened so long since Moses has died that they don't even know where they, we don't even know where Moses is buried. No one knows, they says, where he's even buried. And then in verse 10 and following, we learn 
that evidently there had been a long line, a long number of prophets who had come and gone since Moses. But none of those prophets, none of them had been a prophet like Moses. And so long after Moses died, Deuteronomy 8.15 still hasn't been fulfilled. Where Moses says, you know, God is going to raise up a prophet like me. It's still not fulfilled. Long after Moses died. Joshua, Moses is a replacement. He wasn't that prophet. Samuel, who is the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. It wasn't Samuel. And we can go through the whole Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Nahum, Obadiah, etc. All of those others. They weren't that prophet either. So who was that prophet? You see, the people of God had been long since anticipating Him. They'd been waiting on Him, but they hadn't found Him yet. And so this takes us actually straight into the New Testament. So turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John in the New Testament. I want you to see that the people are still waiting on this prophet as we we turn in in John's Gospel, in John chapter 1. So as you're turning there, let me just set the stage for John chapter 1. John the Baptist, he's the cousin of Jesus. He's, he's ministering among God's people. He's making quite a name for himself. He's getting a lot of attention. And so the religious leaders of the day, they say, you know, we're going to, we need to find out more about who this guy is. And so they send a party to him to say, you know, who are you? Now pick up with me in verse 19 of chapter 1 of, of John's Gospel. It says, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. So John confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. And then notice these words, Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now these men had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even one who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so, so you've got to see this. You, have to, you need to understand the importance. This is super important. You know, the, the religious leaders didn't ask John if he was a prophet. John, are you, are you a prophet? That's not what they asked. On two occasions in verse 21 and again in verse 25, they asked him, are you the prophet? Now, why were they asking that question? Well, they're asking that question because they had read Moses. They know what Moses had to say. They were familiar with Deuteronomy chapter 18. And they were familiar with Deuteronomy chapter 34. And they were still waiting. They were still anticipating the arrival of this prophet, of the prophet. He still hadn't come. Over a thousand years have passed. And they were still waiting. Over a millennia later, and they're still anticipating his arrival. He hadn't come yet. The prophet of Deuteronomy 18 still hadn't arrived. So who is the prophet? Stay with me for just a moment. 
Stay right here in the Gospel of John. Same chapter, chapter 1. Pastor Brian preached on this passage last week. Look at verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so here's Philip saying, Found him. You know that guy that Moses was talking about? Back there in Deuteronomy chapter 18? Found him. I know who he is. His name is Jesus. Now, fast forward. Stay in the Gospel of John. We're going to stay in the Gospel of John. Make this easy for us. Go, go to chapter 6 in the Gospel of John. Just a little, a little background as you're turning there to chapter 6. Jesus has just fed over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And the people are like, wow, that, that was impressive. Um, verse 14. Chapter 6, when the people saw the sign that he had done. So they're like, wow. They said, this is what they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. They didn't say, hey, I, he, he looks like he's a prophet. He is, no, no, he is the prophet who has come into the world. Well, we're not done yet. Turn over to chapter 7, verse 40. Chapter 7, verse 40. This is a question about... Uh, you know, they, they've been sent to arrest Jesus. Jesus talks about um, that he is actually streams of living water um, and there's division among the people. In verse 40, he says, and when they, this is the people, when they heard these words, some people said, this really is the prophet. Again, not a prophet, but this is the prophet. I'm going to look at one more, one more passage. This time, not in John, but it's in the very next book in your in your Old Testament. Or excuse me, your New Testament. Turn to uh, Acts, Acts chapter three. Uh, while you're turning there, a little bit of background. While you're turning to Acts chapter three, uh, Peter has already preached his first sermon at Pentecost. We have five thousand people get saved that day. Uh, Peter and John now have just healed a lame beggar who's at the temple, and people, I mean, commotion is happening. Um, Peter's now preaching his second sermon. And he says this in his second sermon. Look with me in chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. Moses said, this is, these are Peter, this is Peter preaching. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed. From the people. So if you're if you're a skeptic this morning, you might be thinking, "Yeah, Pastor Brian, I know you're talking about, you know, yeah, he he does say this is the prophet, this is the prophet, but he could be talking about just about any prophet, right? I mean, he could be talking about any. Why? What makes you think he's actually talking about Deuteronomy chapter 18? Well, Peter here leaves leaves no question in our mind that that he's actually talking about Deuteronomy chapter 18 because he quotes Deuteronomy 18. Ver- Word for word, he quotes it. There's, there's no room for skepticism. And so in the, in the context of a sermon, Peter tells us that Jesus is this prophet. Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the fulfillment of what Moses had been writing about. Now, we're in church today, and this, you know, that's... You know, Jesus. That's kind of the Sunday school answer, right? If you don't know, well, just, hey, maybe Jesus. So nobody in this room and probably nobody listening online is like, wow, 
I had no idea that Jesus was going to be the problem. You might, maybe you didn't know how, how it was going to get there, but you're not like, that's a shocker that Jesus is the prophet. So what's the point? What's the big deal that Jesus is the prophet? Well, we don't know exactly when Moses died. Let's just say it was in the, it was in the time before you know death certificates were issued with you know time and date of death. But from historical evidence, we know it was somewhere between about 1271 BC and 1592 BC. Okay, so a 300-year period there. And so here, here's my point. For somewhere between 1,300 years and 1,600 years, the people of God had been eagerly anticipating, eagerly awaiting, looking for, longing for the arrival of the Messiah. They wanted to see Him They were anticipating Him so much that when John the Baptist shows up on the scene, the very first question they ask Him is, are you that guy? I mean, put yourself in their shoes for just a moment. You are a people with a a tremendous history, with a a long and glorious history. Well, in some cases glorious, in some cases not so glorious. But a long history. And they've been anticipating. Waiting longing to see this prophet, to see this Messiah. You and I, on the other hand, you see, we live on the other side of the manger, don't we? We we live on the other side of the cross. But I want you to know that as we approach Christmas, that we approach it, we need to approach it in the same anticipation that God's people had anticipated centuries ago. We need to have this longing, this looking forward to, this remembering of praise God for what He has done in sending His Son. That we anticipate that coming. And we love that coming. And we find great joy in His coming. Which takes us to point number three. So what is this prophet going to do? What is this prophet going to do? Or if if I ask this in another way, I might say, you know, why do we need to eagerly anticipate him? What, what, is it, what does his coming have to do with me? Now you, you can stay in Acts 3, by the way, uh, since, since Peter is actually quoting uh, Moses there. We can just stay right there. But you, you might recall back in, in Deuteronomy 18, God said that, he said, I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak all that I command him. That's what this prophet was going to do. God himself was going to put his words in this prophet's mouth and the prophet was going to speak everything that God had commanded. You might even argue that this prophet is the word of God. Now, by the way, that's not original to me. Okay, if you know your Bibles, you know that Jesus himself is called the word of God. And so this prophet is coming to speak. He's the word of God made flesh. This prophet would ultimately come in the form of a baby lying in a manger. That he would ultimately come, this prophet would come to save his people from their sins. Jesus, the Word of God made flesh, would perfectly live out every jot and every tittle from the Word of God. Without exception. So unlike you and I, 
He would perfectly obey His heavenly Father. He would never sin. And unlike us, He wouldn't deserve to die, but He would die. He would die so that you and I could have life. You see, that's why He came. He came to speak the Word of God to us. He came to live the Word of God in front of us so that we might have a relationship with God forever. That's what this prophet would do. That's why it's important for us. You see, without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we would all, all of us, we would still be in our sins. Without this prophet that Moses spoke about, without that prophet, without the prophet, we would all be separated from God. And so we listen to this prophet, Moses tells us. It's what Peter tells us. We need to listen to this prophet. Look there in Acts chapter 3. Peter says, Every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So that's the option. We can listen to this prophet and have eternal life, or we can say, Nah, no thanks. I'm good. I've got it all under control. And not listen and be destroyed. So we listen. We eagerly anticipate. We remember that as Christmas approaches, our salvation approaches. And we celebrate that baby in a manger. Not in the, ooh, isn't he cute? Although I'm quite sure he was a cute baby. But that's not what we celebrate. We celebrate a Savior coming into the world. We celebrate a baby who's coming to this world to do everything for us that we weren't able to do for ourselves. That's what He does. And so point four, then is what do we need to do? What do we need to do? I'm going to offer three things that we need to do. Um, now, the, all three of these things won't apply to everybody in this room or even to everybody listening. Uh, but the three things that we need to do. First, if you've never turned from your sin and turned and placed your faith in Christ, then I want to encourage you to do that right now. You, you don't have to wait another moment. You can do that right now while I'm talking. You can, you can pray to God. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge that your sin separates you from God. And you can place your faith in Jesus right now. In this prophet. Thanking God that He did send the prophet in the world. You can do that right now. And if that's something you are doing or something that, that, that you have done as, as a result of hearing God's Word, then listen, I would love to have a chance to celebrate that with you. Just talk to me afterwards and say, hey, that, that's something that I did. And, and I just want to rejoice with you in that. Because really, there, there's no more important decision that you'll ever make in your life than placing your faith in that Jesus. Second, uh, many of you, perhaps even most of you in this room, you've, you've already done that. You, you've already placed your faith in Jesus. And so what does this have to do with you? Well, could we perhaps meditate, worshipfully meditate on the importance of Jesus coming into the world to save us from our sin? 
In other words, if, if you've already accepted Jesus, thank Him. Gloriously thank Him for what He has done for you. I want you to know this. When you look in the mirror, I hope you don't say, yeah, I deserve to be saved. Because you don't. Nor do I. None of us do. We don't deserve it. It's grace upon grace that He saved us. And so thank Him for that. Third and finally, so whether you're in this room again or whether you're watching online through live stream, we're, we're going to take the next few minutes here in our service to respond to God in a special way. There are over 7 billion, some estimates say about 7.7 billion people on the planet today. That's, it's an astounding, astounding number. But of those 7 plus billion, 3 billion plus of them, so, half, half of the people on this planet live in parts of the world where the gospel itself isn't readily available. Half the people on this planet live in a place where they may be born, they may live and die, and never once be told the good news of Jesus. Never told the good news of Jesus. You know, they, they, might, they, they won't hear it over the airwaves. They won't uh, pass a local church on the corner. They won't ever meet somebody who calls themselves a Christian. And again, we live in North America. We take all those things for granted. Probably most of us in this room on the way to this church pass at least one other church on the way to this church. I mean, that's that's where we live. We live in North America. There are are lots of places where, where we can hear the message of Jesus. We can go online and we can hear the message of Jesus. We can turn on the radio and hear the message of Jesus. We can go to any local bookstore and find the, the, the most well, uh, the, the best-selling book of all time, the Bible, in any bookstore, even a secular bookstore. We have access to the Gospel. But so much, half of the world doesn't have that access. And so... I want us to think about responding two ways. Two ways. First, we have the manger set up here, and I've already talked about this, but in just a moment, we're going to play a music video. Um, and while that video is being played, I want to encourage you as to come up by families um, and just whatever the Lord has put on your heart to, to put an offering in, in, in that basket. Again, there's envelopes on your, on your seats there if you want to put an envelope. Uh, but just come and say, I recognize how fortunate I am to have access to the gospel. And I recognize that there are people living on this planet who don't have that kind of access. And so I want to give and I want to give generously uh, to this offering so that others might be able to hear the gospel. But there's, there's a second way I want you to respond. And this one might, may not be as public as, as the first. But as we regularly anticipate the birth of Jesus, you know, we do it year after year. We do it, you know, it's, it's old hat to us. I think that perhaps some of us in this room, some of us need to be encouraged that, that it's not enough simply just to write a check and say, okay, I've done my Christian duty. Here, here's my check, God. Rather, what we need to do is we need to if put, a, put a blank check of our lives and say, God, this is, this, I am for you. I, I am for you. 
And, and if you want to take me and you want to send me halfway across the world to preach the gospel to a people that have never heard it, then here I am. I'll go. Or it might be, you might think, well, that's, that's, that's awfully radical you know, to go halfway across the world to tell somebody about Jesus. And it is. In, in our culture, it is kind of radical. Maybe the Lord's just simply calling you across the street to your neighbor. To somebody you know right now who by all, by all outward appearances, that, that person does not have a relationship with Christ. Maybe it's a family member that you know good and well doesn't have a relationship with Christ. And here this Christmas season, God is calling you to say, here I am, I'll go. I, I might not get on a, a plane and go halfway across the world this Christmas, but I'm, I'm ready to go across the street and talk to my neighbor. I'm ready to uh, call my brother, call my sister, call my son, call my daughter, call whoever. And have a gospel conversation with that individual. You know, for some of us, obedience might look like going across the street. For others of us, it might require a passport and a plane ticket. But are we willing to go so that others might hear? That's my encouragement to you. And it's my encouragement to me as well. I want you to, so those of you who know me, you know I'm deeply, deeply passionate about the cause of international missions. I've been on the international mission field, and this is something I wrestle with on a regular, regular basis. And so, are you willing, are you ready to go if the Lord were to call you to go? Let's pray together, and then we'll um, have our offering. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for this day and for this opportunity you've given us. I thank you, Father, that Jesus is this anticipated prophet. The, the, the Jewish people had waited 1,300 to 1,600 years in anticipation of this prophet. They'd been eagerly looking forward to his coming. And now, Father, for the last 2,000 years, we have known that he has come. But, Father, we nevertheless, we, are, we eagerly anticipate the day when he will come again. But we pray before that day, before He comes again, Father, that You will allow us to have some role, some active role, Father, in bringing the Gospel to the nations. Perhaps it will be through our giving. Perhaps it will be through our going. Whether, whether we go for a, a lifetime or whether we just go for a, um, a two-week trip. Father, give us a passion, Father, to bring the Gospel to those who are currently without the Gospel whether they're across the street or across the world, help us to bring the good news of Jesus to them. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.